just give a very brief introduction. So Eliezer, it's very good to have you here. I'll put a little bit of your biography in the chat uh, for people to see who you are, but you're going to be speaking to us on Black, British and de-churched Afro-Asiatic religions, biblical genealogy and identity formation, which sounds absolutely fascinating. Wonderful, thank you so much. I hope everyone can hear me. I've been on mute for a little while. Okay, so my name's Elisa. Um, I attend All Nations Baptist Church in South London in Clapham Park. Um, and I'm currently, I've just submitted recently in the last few weeks, my PhD. Um, and so what you'll be hearing today is kind of, an, well, it's an excerpt from my PhD, um, just bringing some of my findings to the table. Um, and hopefully we'll have some good discussion afterwards in the breakout room, uh, questions and things like that. Um, and so my research um, was born out of a personal experience. Um, I've grown up very much churched all my life started off in a Signs of Wonders church, into Pentecostal churches, and then ended up in a Baptist church. Um, and after my undergrad training, um, I decided to actually pursue my interest in theology and got a very rude awakening when I realized it was not a Bible study. Um, and actually, in fact, what was happening in theological seminaries was beyond my comprehension and imagination. And I really struggled um, to just to grasp what was happening, um, approaches to the Bible, just different perspectives. Um, and out of that, actually, I found that I really struggled to engage on a cultural level, um, coming from black churches, coming from um, black majority communities. Um, I'm Jamaican and Irish, but my Irish family are in Ireland. Um, and so a lot of my family interaction have been with uh, my father's side who are Jamaican. Um, and at the same time this happening, a lot of my friends were starting to leave the church. And so the study was very much like my friends were leaving the church. They were starting to say, you know, Christianity is a white man's religion, slavery, the legacy and all of that. And I felt the, very much the need to kind of respond. I'm typically quite conservative evangelical Christian. Um, part of my upbringing, probably just part of my, my nature, a little bit maybe a religious fanaticist in there somewhere. Um, but I really struggled to find where the middle ground was, where the literature, where the support was for these conservative evangelical yet kind of pro-black Christians. How are we responding apologetically um, to the claims against Christianity? Um, and so I decided to delve into the world um, and basically ask why some of these black people in churches on the fringes are leaving the church and pursuing other black religions, Nation of Islam, Rastafari, the black Hebrew Israelites, the Holy Coptic Church. I'll speak a little bit about them um, as I go um, why they were leaving and what was the strength of the influence of these religions. They're not new, birth 19th, 20th century, during slavery, throughout um, the struggle for emancipation and all of that, they've been present. Um, but to my surprise, their presence hasn't dwindled. People might consider them backwards, racist, bigoted, um, and all of those things, but actually they still have quite a firm presence and influence on the fringes of the black church. And for me, that's kind of me, my study is investigating what the strength of that is. And so today I'm just looking at one aspect, which is about, um, <clears throat> how black people seek to um, form identity or understand their identity through the Bible and how Afro-Asiatic religions, which I will um, describe in a minute, why I've termed them this, um, how they pre present a really strong um, and influential perspective 
um, that kind of has beaten the church's response or lack of response to these issues of identity for black people in Britain struggling to uh, struggling to be British, struggling to make sense of um, their history, who they are, fitting in, and also again, also their religious identity, given the legacy of slavery, the legacy of colonialism, etc. And so um, I'll begin. Please note your questions, put them in the chat as well. I can try uh, my best to respond to them. Um, oh, he's just said it wonderful, excellent. Okay, so the presence of black majority churches in Britain are growing at a significant rate. While statistics are showing us that the attendance of white British Christians are declining, um, despite this phenomenon, the upsurge or in the upsurge of these BMC churches are a number of discontented black millennials who are severing ties of Christianity and seeking religious movements that support their desires to be pro-black and religious. Social media has seen a growing trend in anti-Christian sentiments from within the black community, often arguing that Christianity is a slave religion that does not benefit the black community and remains silent on societal injustices. Obviously, this is very topical at the moment as well. I know this is quite a sensitive issue um, and I'm just hoping that you guys can um, receive this and get involved. Um, so these anti-Christian sentiments are supported by counter histories, alternative spiritual belief systems considered to be more authentic and beneficial for the black community. These arguments tend to be spearheaded by the exposure of Christianity as this ongoing colonial enterprise, something that I'm sure is not um, alien to many of you anymore. The historical legacy of the slavery as of slavery as endorsed and instituted by the European Church, existential narratives of domination, assimilation, subjugation, and the repackaging, most importantly for this study, of indigenous African religious systems with a white face, so this white Jesus over um, ancient Afro-Asiatic religions. And then of course, the final argument, well, the final main argument is the biblical text as racialized counterfeit tools used to oppress people of color. So whilst they hold a high view of scripture, they believe that the versions that we have now have actually been purposefully edited um, for their, I mean, to be dramatic, maybe the word demise. So these initial arguments have much broader implications. They speak to the social and political mobilization of the Black British community against injustice and expose a theological disconnect between the theological academy or a disconnect between a theological academy and the church. And what I mean by this, and I used myself as an example, was that when I got to theology college, when I got to college, I'd just been hearing things I'd never heard before in my life. I felt I knew the Bible really well. I felt I knew Christianity and history very well. And I've left, I've kind of come out of this church experience, just being, you know, a church goer, stepped into the seminary, and it's like a completely different world. It's just like it's all happening above us. There's so many that the normal person doesn't know. And many of the people that um, were participants in my study had the same feeling that there was so much happening behind closed doors and there was this disconnect. It's almost like the pastors were obviously doing all the reading of the books um, and not filling in the gaps. And we were just saying, yes, pastor, okay, pastor, or whoever is the teacher. So the Afro-Asiatic Afro religions I've selected for this study, and I'll remind you, so the Nation of Islam, Rastafari, the Holy Coptic Church, and Black Hebrew Israelites um, are often negated as reactionary, extremist, racist, anti-intellectual on one hand, and on the other hand, they're mindful of their thematic resources. 
My research considers their teachings in its raw form as indicators of desires and needs of Black British Christians on the fringes of the British church body. And my instinct here is that Afro-Asiatic religions are integral to the future of the study of Black religion as they are rich in sources of information about the Black diaspora and globalized religious identity, meaning that these religions are not only, they're not a British phenomenon, they're here now, they make this making um, their communities established in their communities established in buildings and churches. A lot of them have come over from America and the Caribbean, but they're also finding their roots in other parts of the world as well. During the initial waves of influence in the 19th and 20th centuries, where slavery, racism, segregation, and racial discrimination were legal institutions, these religions were active among an already largely religious, confessional or traditional, Black society. In 21st century, these religions, I argue, are still influential in Black communities, which indicates that though there have been political, philosophical, and social advancements in Western society with regards to the Black lived experience, and undergirded by more humanist and pluralist ventures, they are failing to meet some core desires and needs that must be explored. And so this, I obviously it's a, a larger study. So we're looking here at then the high view of scripture is what they want, preservation of religious and cultural institution and identity grounded in genealogy and history and ethno-religious identity. The quest towards anti-Black racism from a scholastic perspective should not ignore the basic premises of Afro-Asiatic religions because they are unfavorable to the progressive trajectory, but instead should consider the ways in which the social mechanism of ethno-religious institution has perhaps led the way and present more viable options for decolonization and black identity formation. So it must be noted here that I do um, accept that these religions, they have their flaws <laughs> as, as we all do, um, but from an ethnographic perspective, they present an interesting and valuable um, contribution to anti-black racism, um, to the Progressive, progressive, the progression of theological study as well. And so I look now at a few of the key terms just to help with this background. And then I'm gonna move on into some of the data um, and how I collected that data, which is simply just getting into and under the skin of the people um, that are on the fringes, considering or have already left these churches and looking for other ways to be centered around the Bible as their sacred text, um, to be religious, but to sever their ties with mainstream Christianity. And so this term de-churched in this study describes the participants who have left the church and sought these alternative black Bible-based religious, relig um, religious communities and belief systems. Caleb Davis considers those who leave consciously due to conflict or pain or politics, those who leave unconsciously distracted by work, responsibility and family. Tom Schultz considers relational aspects of the de-church phenomena and the effect of large church communities, the inaccessibility of the leadership being a component as well. And Brian Harris briefly considers de-church theologically. Um, what are the theological implications of the de-church? How does it speak to a church's belief system about salvation? He likens the de-church to the prodigal son and the lost sheep, which in fact moved my initial theological response to my friend who had left the church. So this is by no means an, a, a mass exodus from the church. This is a, a small percentage of people who often go unnoticed 
and I was pr prompted by my own conviction to kind of chase after the one sheep and say, hey, what's going on? Let's find out what's going on and let's see what we can do. Um, in fact, the church in this study also resonates most clo closely with the concept of decolonization. So it's not to dismiss the concept of biblical or what people can they consider the, the biblical um, concept of church. Um, but it's dis dismantling the church or coming away from and rejecting the church that they have known, essentially the European mainstream church in Britain that they have been a part of. Ethnographically, the research considers how they've sought emancipation from a religious system that they consider unempowering, disingenuous and erroneous. Not departing from religious conviction inspired by the Bible and parts of historic, historic church tradition, but departing from, as I said, um, our mainstream churches here in Britain. And so that includes Pentecostal churches as much as it includes the Church of England, the Baptist Church, or some of your free churches as well. And so for this study, I've termed, I've put an umbrella term over these um, religions, and I've called them Afro-Asiatic religions because they are rooted geographically in the Afro-Asiatic region. Um, and, and also, as we will see, they fit the model that ling uh, linguists use quite well, the family tree model. Afro-Asiatic is a term that is used in the study of linguistics. The basic premise is to explore the nature of Semitic, Egyptians, Berber, Cushitic, and Chidic uh, religions, uh, languages historically and comparatively analyzing the, their developments and mechanics. A common image used to demonstrate Afro-Asiatic is a tree with branches which show both connection and disconnection. Following this concept, Martel Bernal in Black Athena, the Afro-Asiatic Roots of classic, uh, Classical Civilization, volumes one, two, and three is a big work, seeks to demonstrate the ways in which Western classical civilization has Afro-Asiatic roots. He does this through linguistics, archeology, span and other types of historical documentation. The name Afro-Asiatic comes from the fact that languages of this family are spoken in both Africa and Asia. The Afro comes before the Asiatic because seven of its eight uh, subfamilies, Chidic, okay, so that's basically just about the language. These works are extensive linguistic in, uh, investigations of which my work was not, um, which is beyond the scope of this study. However, his method and employment of the terms Afro-Asiatic, family tree and branches is useful and appropriate because each of these religions, as I said, are rooted in geography. First of all, the Afro-Asiatic geography, but also they are rooted in their commitment to biblical scripture. Some of them also include the Apocrypha, but essentially what we recognize as a biblical, the Bible. Um, and then their branches, they are able to um, carry and demonstrate their differences in interpretation, mainly around Jesus, the redemption, um and and salvation as well uh so julian bordick in black god afro-asiatic roots he concludes that uh afro-asiatic Afro religions um use duality and bipolarities they're foundational in Afro-Asiatic religions on Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. So basically what he's saying is that a lot of African traditional religions have these dual and bipolaric mechanisms in their languages, in their philosophies and religious understandings that have been influential on Judaism, Christianity, and Islam as well. 
So I'll round up this bit on Afroasiatic. I'm hoping that you get my understanding. I'm using this image of the family tree to um, number one, connect it to what it's used for, rooting it in the region, the geographic region of which they all claim to be people of the Bible, Hebrews, Canaanites, the Egyptians, all these things. Um, but also the image is helpful because they're rooted in their love commitment for the scripture, but they have different and varying interpretations. Um, and I've picked out the key ones that would resonate most um, with most people here, Jesus, redemption, salvation. Um, and so the next key term, which is really important for this is woke. And some of you may roll your eyes, you might be sick of it. <laughs> I know it's highly contested now. It's, it's, become, it's become a very strange word, but it's actually the very first step in the decolonizing process for these um, black religious adherents. Okay, the term woke has largely been associated with African-American community during the civil rights era. It was a vernacular term that con um, concerns the social and political awareness of black people. Often considered to be most inspired by the activist, theologian, philosopher and community leader, Marcus Garvey, becoming woke caused black people to be mentally engaged and to comprehend the dangers of then white America um, for black lives. With more recent civil unrest in the diaspora and the birth of Black Lives Matter movement, woke has become a word that primarily describes left-wing, liberal and progressive ideals and cultures, and in turn, a derogatory word for those considered right-wing and conservative. And I bring this up because it's quite a topical piece. Um, I also like to acknowledge um, that within all of this, there is this very much polarized religious forward slash political um, issue between the right and the left. It's the evolution of black anti-racist literature that engages more systemically with socialism, critical race theory and feminist thought gives the idea that woke is best positioned with the left and progressivism. However, as I unpack within my study, um, being, it's not necessarily the case. Being woke pertains to any kind of danger to black people that may well also include the progressive ideologies that threaten the traditions, cultures and religious beliefs central to black identity formation and preservation. And so what I do in some of the other chapters is demonstrate that um, when you look at conservatism ideologically, it is a big part of what grounds these Afro-Asiatic movements, this, um, this idea, this commitment to preservation, to institution as well. And from a religious perspective, this high view of scripture, I also make some connections. Um, they're quite loose connections, obviously, um, but they are good connections for this study and for us to think about between these religions and the evangelical movement as well, that at one point sought some form of liberation, but were committed to a high view of scripture um, also combined with this divine revelation of which all these religions that I'm mentioning here were birthed from a divine um, revelation of one person to say we were the Hebrews or we came from the ancient tribe of Shabbat in Asia or whatever it may be. I'll push through quite quickly. So I'll move on actually to the data. I think I've demonstrated kind of where I'm going with this. What I did with my data was um, I put it within a preservation liberation framework. Um, and so this was made up um, various concepts that were able to hold in tension this idea of pres preserving, preserving history, um, preserving religious authority, as I've been saying many times, and also liberating 
Christianity or this Bible religion from white hegemony um, and from the legacy, from the European legacy, and basically bringing a corrective method um, or bringing a corrective approach to the Bible um, and to the hermeneutical um, processes. And so the concepts that I use for Ethiopianism, which is what they were all birthed into, birthed from, should I say, um, I use, of course, liberation, decolonization, um, and I also then move on to conservatism as well as one of my key concepts. Um, slightly controversial, I guess, um, for maybe some of my colleagues, um, but I thought it was very important, um, especially because this work was birthed from my own um, from my own experiences, I consider myself in many ways to be quite conservative, um, but obviously I can find <laughs> many places of tension uh, with maybe some of my other fellow conservatives also being pro-Black. And so I designed this um, program called Black Consciousness and Christian Faith. It's a five session program. I invited people to come down, tell me their stories about why they left, why they're going for these other religions, um, and then also to explore combined apologetics, open discussion style, some of these arguments, is Jesus, um, you know, is Jesus a repackaged version of Horus, Isis, and from ancient Egypt? Uh, what are their black um, influence in the early parts of the church? We looked at the early church fathers, what's the deal with black liberation theology, etc. And so there's three things I'm going to try and wrap up with very quickly. I'm yeah, aware of about, about another couple of minutes, if that's okay. all right. That's fine. Have I can do this very quickly. Perfect. Because you've got questions as well. So there were three key things I was going to bring to you in more detail. The first was an instance we had an Ethiopian Jew attend one of the sessions. And she was laying her frustrations down that she couldn't fit in anywhere because she was a Jew ethnically as well as religiously she didn't fit into the mainstream church and because she was Ethiopian she didn't fit in some of the mainstream Jewish congregations. What she did bring to the table was that where she came from there was this continued practice of slavery which was very controversial among the rest of the group because it's one of the biggest gripes of course as you can understand among our community um, but what she did was help the people in the group to see that transatlantic slavery and the biblical slavery were actually quite different and they unpacked it was very very interesting and the people were really grasped by this sense of continuity which is what I feel and why I argue that these religions bring although we may not I may not necessarily agree with how they come about those ideas what the data demonstrated is because they provide that sense of continuity and um, biblical genealogy places locations and all of that kind of stuff they were able to grasp the imagination and the attention of the black people on the fringes that the mainstream church hadn't been able to do because they were aligning themselves intentionally or unintentionally with a colorblind theology and because ethnocentrism and ethno-religious um, methods are actually very controversial and in many pentecostal churches they take a more spiritualized um, approach to reading scripture. So there was this interesting um, conversation then about slavery um, and continued a continuity of practices. The second um, I wanted interesting idea I wanted to bring to you that came up was this idea of historic African legacy, um, which was really important to the people that attended um, my sessions. 
what they couldn't find or could never engage with in their church experiences was the presence and participation of their ancestors, Africans, um, Afro-Asiatic peoples in their biblical imagination. And this is what these Afro-Asiatic religions provided for their um, for these people. And finally, so I can see, we want to move on to questions as well. And finally then, um, what these Afro-Asiatic religions did bring um, and continue to bring um, is just the focus on the presence then of these people in the Bible, reading the Bible as a black history, a black narrative and a black prophecy eschatologically, which is a, a kind of bit more up my street, taking us into and making sense of today's happenings, societal happenings. So I'll round it up there and feel free to ask questions. I'll try and get through them. That was very speedy. I had obviously too much written here, but thank you anyway. Uh, thank you. Uh, I mean, it's fascinating the window you've opened into your research. And uh, I, I now want to know so much more and to have more than the 20, 25 minutes we've been able to have, but we must stop there. Mm -hmm. I, I think we've got time for one question. Um, and I'd like to ask, and because we need to move on at two o'clock to the next person, but Anthony Reddy, you got in first with a question. Um, so Anthony, I wonder if you're able to uh, unmute and kind of put your question, please. Yes, I'm here. I think if you start the question is read, uh, Alicia, because probably easier than me sort of trying to paraphrase it and then spending even more words than I've written already. Mm -hmm. So in your study, to what extent was gender and agency an issue in terms of black women's participation? Um, I'll take that one first. Actually, very interesting, and I do mention it in my conclusion. It really, I mean, the open discussions, I led, I allowed them to lead um, their own kind of discussion, and it hardly ever came up. Honestly, feminism never came up. Issues of gender never came up. And even with a little bit of prompting, it just, it felt like people were here to, to kind of, in a sense, take the kind of matrixy route. They wanted to know truth, facts, history. And it was almost as if that came first before they could then move on to those, um, to those issues. We did have, we did talk a little bit about slavery um, and the fact that although um, they could agree in some sense or could comprehend that they were, it was different to transatlantic slavery. Nonetheless, there were some um, problematic parts of the <laughs> prescription for slavery, such as um, a woman could be given away by her father and would not receive or be able to be freed after the seven years. Um, and so I brought that to them to kind of, you know, let's talk about this from a gender perspective. There was no bite, hardly any bite. It was a bit like, oh, okay, but, and it was like a swift move on. And so it's actually, it was a really interesting and telling part of my research. I didn't have time to do develop a whole chapter about it. It is definitely for further research. It is safe to say that most of these religions um, are uh, male dominated um, based on their interpretation of scripture. So perhaps that is part of the attraction. Um, some people are attracted to uh, more traditional um, gender roles, gender setups in a, a religious setups as well. Um, and that is definitely something worth exploring. And your second question, how did this study impact your, my own religious sensibilities? I think for me, it took me definitely more um, on a journey of making sense of my personal politics, actually, 
growing up, very much church. I'm the Rodden Todd of Ned Flanders from The Simpsons, very much have been politically aloof all my life. Um, I had to, I felt like I had to make some really more concrete decisions about my politics. I mean, I don't like to fall into the trap that you must either be left or right, conservative Trump or, you know, left and whatever. Um, but I did have to, I felt that I had to really address that, even consider voting, which I've never done in my life, really consider engaging in Black British politics in a different way. Um, but also then how my politics has been affecting my reading of the Bible and the scriptures. I can't say I've made any dramatic U-turns, but I have been much more intentional about paying attention to my decisions, my hermeneutics. And I think I am definitely a bit more, a bit more certain about my approach to reading the Bible. People may consider it a bit more middle of the road. Um, I'm happily conservative and happily pro-black and happily to unpick both at either side um, and to keep the conversation going. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I can't say I've made any dramatic um, kind of U-turns, but I definitely have a lot more clarity um, because I find that these religions um, and their approaches and their arguments and their sentiments about Christianity are good refining fire. <laughs> for, uh, for they have been a good refining fire for me as well, asking important questions um, and, in, and challenging um, how deep I am and how real I am. About I can be about my Christianity, given that I've been so maybe spiritual, had that spiritual glaze all my life and saying God knows and God will do. Um, and so, yeah, I guess that's kind of where I'm at to be continued. Thank you. Fascinating question, Anthony, and fascinating answer, Eliezer. We're going to have to leave it there. We need to move on. But thank you so much for what you've contributed. I'm very grateful to you for that. So um, maybe others can catch up with you a little bit more in the uh, informal break times as well.